0: Okay,
1: it's recording all um, right
0: on today's episode. Of, let's talk about raising of the journey of the journey the journey. Let's talk about uh, raising capital. So we did another like pro-
1: like in Washington. Yes, like raising the capital, the, like De- raising the building like when they yes. built it.
0: Uh-huh. That's, yeah, okay. there now we all have one bad joke. Um. That was
1: a <laughs> fantastic joke.
0: Uh, yeah, so we're talking about raising capital on another podcast i think maybe on our questions one uh justin you noted that you could start a business with absolutely no money not zero money down not even a dollar in your pocket you can john and i disagreed with you
1: that's fine uh but you you have to have
0: something No,
1: no like for example (laughs) if somebody wanted you could start a business there's a lot of people who have podcasts and that's their business they get sponsors they do all this stuff sure at some point they they, spend
0: a single money on a microphone i'm saying you can get started
1: without it you can start the process without having any money because you have a phone everybody has a phone or whatever and you just record from your phone and then all these platforms that for us, what we're distributing to are free. This yep. doesn't cost us anything. Okay. Now, if you want to get into higher quality stuff and you you get listeners and you want to do that stuff, then sure, you've got microphones. So, if you want a business that has software. revenue, you should
0: spend money. So,
1: no, not necessarily. <laughs> but, oh, my point is, my yes. whole point in saying it is absolutely yes, money is required at some step of the way for right. starting a business. But I think oftentimes people get too crippled by money and they don't even start the process because True. they think that's the barrier to entry when True. it's not. Right. In most cases,
0: yeah, right, or they raise. Ton, think they need to raise tons of capital just to get Correct. started, and so we can talk about everything from starting with nearly nothing mm-hmm. to bootstrapping it. So you're still raising some amount of money to all the way to raising double what you think you'll need to get to, to cash right. flow positive, and those all those extremes. And so um, I, I probably have more experience in the bootstrapping area. Justin's done a couple of things where you've had you know nearly no capital, and then John, I guess you've seen in um the companies that you've worked in
2: yeah them yeah
0: them raise significantly more money or have a lot of cash to be able yeah, to do right. things
2: so there's um we all have assets so in terms of a phone a computer um access to the internet those types of things so uh, i don't know justin you're talking about if you just look around at the things that you've got in this day and age there's probably some things you can do with just the things you happen to have and um But, yeah, for the purposes of this discussion, um, yeah, we're going to talk about about raising money. Um, But, yeah, maybe if you can start with um, uh, what you're raising money like for. um, You're raising money for a purpose to do something with it to start your business. So just maybe if you can talk about that, why do you need to raise money to kind of get your business off the ground?
0: Sure. So it's probably easier for me to use the stories of how we've raised capital for the last business and for this business. But in general, uh, I think typically people will create a financial plan and think about all the different things that they need to use some type of of asset for. So whether that's cash or sweat equity or whatever it is, and so in your financial plan that you're building, you're going to have you're going to have things like uh, people costs, and you're going to have things like software costs and Um, taxes. I had hilarious when I was probably a year into defy before I realized that I was supposed to be paying in like franchise taxes and all Mm -hmm. this different. And we did it like we didn't, but I had no idea. And I remember Georgine said to me one time, she said, you know, we have to pay this, this, this. And I'm like, is it mandatory? And she's like, unless you want to go to jail, it's mandatory. I was like, man, you just, you don't think about those things. So I think typically when you're building out the financial plan, you try to be very diligent about everything that you need, but you just you don't think of things, and there are additional things that come up. And whether it's security type items that you didn't think of, or um, you know when you get too big to be able to use free email and various things like that. So, building the financial plan, thinking of everything that you'll need to get to either to revenue if you're just trying to get to revenue, or to cash flow cash flow positive. I would typically build it out to get to cash flow positive and think about the total money that you need to get there. If you're just thinking about the total money you need to get to revenue or to get just to get some revenue in, then you're going to have to go raise capital again and you're going to be stuck looking.
2: Does a startup ever like actually get cash flow positive? Yeah. They do?
0: Why not? Yeah.
2: I mean, a lot I, we don't, but we did I, hope did they I do. ever get cash flow positive? In the in first seven years? year, we
0: were. In the second year, we were. And in the fourth year, we were within 100,000. But I think it was, and when I built the plan, it was to get cash flow positive, and we did. We were, we made money in that first year. I feel or second like if year. I added
2: up the statements of cash flow for Defy over seven years, I would get to a negative number. Of course, you would. Yep. Right, and I feel like that's the, the arc of any good startup company is no. that EBITDA positive, cash flow positive the, is like a, a dream.
0: Right, but the point is that you'd never want to be looking for capital when you need capital, right? So if you're going to build your financial plan and Justin asked me this question the other day, Mm -hmm. was there ever a time where we were desperate for capital? And the answer is no, you know, maybe a very small little window, but essentially no, because you plan ahead of time to make sure that you're never desperate, that you have to take terms and so forth. So that would be my point. You would, you would build the plan. So you're not desperate.
2: So, so that you right, so that you Exactly. So, so getting to where you could conceivably be cash flow positive, and the reason that you know I bring up Defy and and kind of cite the fact that it it was and it wasn't right. Um, In in general, when you're in growth mode, right, um, being cash flow positive is a suboptimal thing. Right. You want to be taking an investment, you want to be reinvesting it, and you want to be growing your company. So, so you're not going to be. But cash you want flow to make positive, a conscious
0: effort you want to make a conscious decision to not be cash flow positive, not have it just happen to you. If (laughs) you're in a
2: situation where your liquidity is causing you to um, uh, put you in a bad situation, that's where, where you don't want to be. Right. So you you
0: don't want to, you know, I don't think you want to build your initial financial plan, assuming that you're going to get more capital later because a, nothing goes like it should. Revenue never comes in like it's going to expenses always come in higher. And so if you don't build it planning on not needing to take more, capital or getting to cap. We built this. Yep. I mean, our financial plan for this one was for us to get cash flow positive and not take additional investment. How many dollars do we need yep. to get to that point?
2: Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. So,
0: um, so that is how we built the financial plan. And then, so you figure out what that number is and, and may or may not happen. And when I was starting to fly, I built the financial plan, um, with a colleague. So we built the financial plan we came up with. I can't remember. It's in my, one of my blogs but it would say like 1.5 million or something and we thought that's the number that we needed and and i feel like i'm pretty conservative in my assumptions and so forth so i felt good with the number i went to a guy who had built a very similar company before he said we need to double that and he said it based on his experience because he created a financial plan thought he needed a certain amount of money and found out he needed double that and i think had found himself in a tough spot not having the cash and when you don't have the cash, then you have to make trade-offs about hiring and, and so mm-hmm. forth. And uh, we know what the failure rate is on startups. And so you don't want cash to be the reason that that you fail. And so, uh, so he thought we needed double. We thought we needed that. And I think I've, I've said this on another podcast before. We ended up with only uh, very little, you know, like probably a fifth of what I thought we needed and decided to go ahead and start. But we started not spending the same amount that we were going to, if we'd raised the full amount. So we started thinking outside the box on how can we be creative in spending less cash? And what other thing do we have besides cash? And we had equity. And a lot of companies won't give equity to, uh, to employees because it takes equity out of their pockets, but, but it is a way to raise capital without raising actual cash capital. Um, and so, you know, we kicked it off there and then we, we chose to do the same thing with clean layer. So, so backing up to the initial question, building a financial plan, figuring out the amount that you need and then, um, and then going, and then the next step is how do you find it? Where do you go? What do you do? Uh, what terms do you offer? So forth. Um, uh, you,
2: and then you mentioned, um, uh, kind of alluded to, um, wanting to avoid a second raise. So you're kind of. Parameters were again the cash flow positive, meeting your expenses to get to that time, allowing a little bit of contingency for yourself ideally, and um and avoiding having to go back to the well um to kind of keep going. So so you didn't say, Let me just get six months of cash, make sure I can run six months, whether that target equals cash flow positive or not. And then in six months, I'm gonna see where we are, resell it, get another round. That, I, that wasn't like your I ideal. Didn't, kind I didn't of say that, but
0: obviously there's a lot of yeah. ways and, and yeah, yeah. lots of successful companies have done it all kinds of different ways. There's successful companies that have gone and raised huge amounts yeah. of money because the idea was just so phenomenal or they had the right connections, you know, had been successful in the past, huge amounts of money and they're successful. Uh, there's, we all hear the stories about two guys in a garage with, you know, $100 and they're successful. So for me, correct, I wanted, to at least be running the financials as if I wasn't going to raise yep. capital again or be dependent on that because I think it changes the decisions that you make. But I, I'm sure plenty of successful companies go the other way and say, I'm just going to get to an MVP or I'm just going to get to a product to market. And once I get to a product to market, or once I get a hundred customers, then I'll be able, you know, to have a better pitch, especially if you're bootstrapping or raising very little money and you can't get, venture money or friends and family money, private office money, uh, then it would make sense that you're gonna show that I have a product, it's a great product, I've brought it to market and I have customers. And it seems like um, there, I was talking to somebody yesterday who was asking me if I knew anybody who invested in essentially pre-revenue companies. And I don't, I haven't come across a ton of companies who uh, invest in pre-revenue because we didn't go after that. Or we weren't going for that. Um, But obviously, there are a ton of companies that most people do. Right, a lot of them. I just don't know. I just don't know anybody because we didn't didn't go for that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's
1: the sort of entry spot for. I guess maybe that's where mostly angels play. Probably institutional funds don't invest. Right. At least, well, maybe they do, but probably at later stages. I would say if that's early, that's probably like angel or seed seed money at that point. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. So the initial seed money can come, but you have to. You have to know those people. I don't know those people, so I couldn't yeah. help him with any introductions. I couldn't help him with where to go on the the circuit or do sure. anything like that. So there's certainly this the initial seed or angel money, um, and for for me that wasn't the right that wasn't the right path because I would rather give that equity to people who are working in the company and just raise less cash than than go find that, but. But I'm sure it's helpful for the next round to show that somebody else invested in it, believed in it, and now you have a product and and now you have revenue. So I just never came across those. I came across companies more after you had a product, after you had some revenue, but you weren't cash flow positive yet and um, came across those investors. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel better about this conversation if we're going to get into the weeds about some of that stuff. Because again, I think my initial hesitation was just that this is the only avenue forward and that, you know, in order to start a business, you have to go through this process. And I just, I don't think you do, um, at least to get going. And I think one of the things that, you know, people are looking for is how am I going to make the money back? Like it's, I think people are throwing money around very easily um, nowadays. And I think we've talked about this before, but it's probably just because of how, um, entrepreneurship or kind of this has been romanticized somewhat based on movies or whatever the case may be like that. Anybody can do it when really it's a talent, it's a skill, um, but I think that's the first thing people tend to think about when they're starting a business is how do I raise money rather than thinking about how do I operate a business? How do I run a PNL? How do I make money? How do I think about those things about how do I put a financial plan together to show that I am going to make money and here's how I'm going to execute on that. I think people miss that part. And they think the money is really what saves them from from the inefficiency of actually running a business. It's like, Hey, if I can't run this business, no problem. I'll ask for more money and that'll keep (laughs) me afloat for another six months right, Right. or a year, whatever. Yeah, Um, And that's just, kind of this perpetuating problem, I guess. Um, so at least for us, I'm, I'm glad that we're having the conversation about, you know, the other, other aspects where we're not, we don't want to raise more money.
0: And we, and um, we talked about on the, on one of the podcasts that, that the critical things are the idea. Like if you don't have a great idea, then it doesn't, doesn't matter if you raise the money, idea, money, and people. And so those being the critical things that have to work together. Yeah. Um, Money doesn't have to be a huge amount of money, sure. but there has to be something to be able to fund the business in some form or fashion. And so if any one of those things are terrible, then it'll lead to a bad outcome.
2: Yeah. yeah. And so here we are raising capital We're, we're kind of through that. I'm, I'm not talking about us clean layer in the life cycle, but I'm just talking about the, the discussion. So raising money. Now you got options, how you raise money and you guys mentioned. Angels and that type of se- sector. We've got friends and family. Um, got your own bank account. Got all these sources. So, um, talk about options there.
0: Yeah, and, yeah. and at some at some, some at some point, I think we should have some guests on to talk about uh, additional things that I might not have the yep. experience with. So yeah. Uh, so what what we went through and what I've gone through in trying to decide how to raise money is, you know, there are a lot of it's how much money do you want to raise? And then what are the terms that you're going to put on the money? So you the first thing would be setting a valuation, because if you're going to if you're going to raise money or you're going to use sweat equity, there has to be some base valuation that you're that you're going off of. And uh, so that base valuation is going to be some kind of combination of the cash that you're bringing in, the sweat equity that you're using and the IP or idea that you have and you have ready and uh so that like that's the first step it doesn't matter anything else you have to have that first step and then the bottom line is it's just like real estate whoever's investing has to has to buy into that number so you could have all the data and logic in the world that you're initial valuation is 3 million but if you if no investors buy in to yeah, that then, then it then doesn't really not, matter yeah. then your house isn't worth that or the much. The other
1: side of it is if you raise at a 3 million dollar valuation if you could have raised it higher right. you know maybe yeah. you so, would have been valued higher. Right. It's so it's so it's so funny because at this stage the whole pre-revenue stage it is just made up to some degree. Right. I mean a lot of it comes from the financial right. model and everything we put together to kind of back into what a realistic valuation would be and then you apply some multiple to it and then here you are but I think it's a little bit easier to value the company when there's when there's transactions whether whether it's you're making money yeah. or as soon as people invest that gives you some gauge of
0: well the same thing with real estate it's easier yeah, to value a house correct. if 10 other houses around it have yep. sold the but comps if you, right, right but if you if you have yeah. something that that you just built in an area that there is nothing else it's yeah. it's harder though with a house it's a little bit easier because you have building costs at least to to look at so um so yeah so each time I've done it, I've put together my thought process on what it should be worth, and then I've run it past a lawyer, essentially a lawyer that sees all kinds of different valuations. Right. So it was a different lawyer both times that I, I ran it past, but um, you know, I said, here's my logic, does this make sense? Does it kind of flow out? And, and what are you seeing or how are you seeing people calculate the pre-revenue, pre-product uh, mm-hmm. valuations? So setting, setting the valuation and um, and again, some component of it is cash. If you're setting a $10 million valuation and then you're only raising 500000 in cash, doesn't necessarily tie right. up or make a lot of sense. Uh, and then you're going to have to decide um, once you have the valuation, you have to decide what. How you're going to issue the equity so is it going to be common shares are they going to be preferred shares are you going to do warrants like how, is it going to be a loan a line of credit like what are you going to offer to the investor so this is i mean similar to any terms if you were you know going out looking for money what are what are the terms on a loan what are the terms on whatever you're doing and so i would say from a from a legal perspective just issuing common units is the easiest the least complicated the least expensive in terms of legal documents and so forth yep. just everybody has common units everybody's treated the same uh you have to decide also what's voting and non-voting almost always cat anybody who invests cash will be voting most often sweat equity is non-voting but but it depends on how you want to set it up um and so uh so you're going through that and then from a preferred standpoint and and again it depends on who you're working with because if you're working with family and friends and you don't plan to raise any more money common might make a lot of sense Uh, but if angels coming in seed money's coming in you know family office something they might insist on it being preferred and getting at least one times their money back before anybody else gets paid and so i think there's i i don't have all the answers but there's a lot of different ways to structure it
1: this area is so interesting though i would love to have more people on that can talk about some of this like liquidation preferences and it would be interesting to get uh maybe even kevin's perspective on just the deals he sees and what's more common in these because he's probably not seeing a whole lot of friends and family stuff from what he's doing right i Uh, assume i think think he he
0: sees some but but even when we were starting this and i can't even remember what he told me but even just in the last seven years he was telling me that he was seeing a new way to set up the um set it up for friends and family mm-hmm. differently than we did it Got here it. or at defy. And I can't remember what it was now, but yeah, he would have a lot. We should have Was that
1: the tax thing. The one where you, he-
0: Oh, it was, it was setting it up with warrants, I think, just oh, okay. to make significantly less paperwork. Yeah. And then a friend of ours also invested in a, a guy's company. And I, I think it was, it was something set up like that, like very simple paperwork, but, then he was going to get. It was like well, we can pay you back, or we can flip you into common shares, mm-hmm. and you don't have a choice. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's probably, I've done.
1: I've done just cash, and then I've done like a convertible note.
0: Convertible note. That, Maybe that's the that's the other one thing. where it just yeah.
1: had some. I mean, there's a.
0: I think that's a maturity he, date yeah.
1: and an interest rate on it. And then right. if they if you hit end, that so. date, then you it converts over to shares. Right. I think we didn't that's hit that date. That was the fastest twenty five thousand dollars I've ever lost. Was it? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> we With less than a year.
0: Should have just gone to Vegas with it.
1: Uh, yeah, really?
0: <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's what he said. The convertible note is the most common to get up and running
2: now. Well, well, so maybe if I think of the, um, the cost and the terms and all those types of things. So, um, so with the fi, uh, I mean, you founded the company, um, and, um, and, brought a ton to the table, obviously with your, um, with your background in the industry and your vision for what the thing, the thing needed to do. And then, um, as you go through these rounds, you end up with the the smaller percentage, right? 30% of the company working its way down to 10, working its way down to two, you know, all these things. And then, but you've got friends, um, that you've made along the way who somehow, um, retain 75% of their company when they, when they do it, they've retained like this massive. So, so the thing that you're giving up, so I guess I'm reconciling some of what I've heard. So, so when you raise equity, the cost is percentage ownership of your company. So you, when you thought of it, you owned a hundred percent and owning a hundred percent of something is radically different from owning 51% of something, which is radically different from owning 25% of something. And every percentage you go down, you're giving up a lot. So A, why would you do that if you don't even need the money? If you don't need the money, those percentage points of ownership, when you start looking at a cap table and looking at how are you going to get shares to compensate people? Shares are a precious, precious asset for the future value. Your own. Pocketbook That's why a lot of companies like to use to debt people. instead of equity. So yep. you yeah. certainly don't want to give up those shares if you don't have to. So if you don't need every dime of the capital that you're going to raise, you're raising in a really expensive way with equity yep. if you believe in what you're actually doing. So you wouldn't raise it if you didn't need the money. Um, I disagree, but. You would raise it if you didn't need the money? We just did it. with we just layer. It, yeah. We
0: raised it and we didn't need it.
2: We don't need the money that we got to get to cash flow positive. no Not the entirety no, of no, no, it, no. right?
1: Here's what
0: but I would then, say. Then
2: what I would say is if we raised I think no. there's contingencies that are confidence, but but I don't think that um I guess I don't understand why someone would give up forty percent of their company. Mm-hmm. We didn't do that, but let's just say you give up forty percent of your company. When you really only needed to give up 20% of your company to get half the cash. Why would I give up a whole 20% of my company that didn't need to do just to have it make 0% my company is going to make 20 X what it's got my money that I've gotten that (laughs) bank doing nothing. I don't need it now if you're going to say, but you might need it. No, might need it means I need it. I'm saying don't need it. Why would I pay 10 X? for money that I don't need to have it sitting in a bank.
0: So I can't remember if this is a conversation I had with you or with Kevin, our lawyer, but my answer to that is when we were gonna start Clean Layer, we thought about just using our own capital and building up, getting a product up and going, right? Just making sure that we could get the product up and going, keeping 100% of it, getting the product up and going, using our own capital. That that was Mm -hmm. what we were gonna first do. That was the initial plan. Yeah, and, I thought that's what we were going to do. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, that is what we we talked about doing. When I was having the conversation with Kevin about do we raise capital or do we not raise capital, he said, "I thought was it you?" Or no, it was Kevin? me. It was me you that asked me this. No, no some, it was so it so you and I that talked so about somebody it. Somebody asked me if you could go back and and put your own capital into Defy. I had the cash. Let's just say I didn't have the cash, obviously, but let's just say I had the cash. If you go back, knowing what you know now, you could put your own cash in instead of taking the friends and family money. Would you have done that? From a financial standpoint, the answer is, of course. Of course you would have done that. In
1: hindsight though, you wouldn't have done it.
0: But even in hindsight, I wouldn't have done it. And I wouldn't have done it because look at all the people who made money around me. And to me, that means more than X amount, more in our bank account. And so even if I could go back in time put my own cash into defy, keep more equity myself and not let Justin have any and Karthik have any and J- Georgie like not let any of them have any, I wouldn't do it because the, one of the biggest benefits to me through the defy thing was seeing everybody else make money. And I wouldn't give that up for more money in the bank account.
2: Right. It's so funny. Like, um, I can't imagine that you're typical in this. No, I don't think Um, it is typical. (laughs) Because in general, um, because because you could have, I mean, if you hadn't given that equity, you could still write exactly the same checks to exactly the same people and be completely whole. You could have the same land in your bank account, give all those people all the same money. It is different because they're not jumping for joy on your success, they would the next time if they knew they were going to get that round of checks for the next thing. But it's interesting that you say, I raised capital not so that I could share in downside risk, so that I could share in upside success. And it's a really, it's a it's a weird flip on it because I would say, no, you, I don't want to put a million do- of my own dollars at risk. I will um, round up friends and family Give them the opportunity. We'll all lose a little bit together. We'll all make a whole lot of money together. We're on the ride together. But but the reason wouldn't be because when this lottery ticket hits, it's no. We're going to de-risk it, and in exchange for that, you're going to have some upside. But but we're doing this to de-risk
1: it, and the yeah. exchange is yeah. is, I, I is think, the good thing, right? I, I mean, think obviously, definitely I think, risk a risk yeah. play. I mean, that's I, why you do it.
0: Well, I I think no, you, I think yeah. it obviously is a risk play, right? That's why you don't put all the money in yourself. It's why you bring other people in. But I also, what I'm saying is if I could, because I yeah, the Defy, would have the experience of Defy, right? And in, in the experience of Defy, forget about it. I now know what's going to happen. So there's no risk in it. I would still make the same decision right. because I think the journey is more fun with people with you. So I think yeah. it is, it is, it's more fun to have everybody excited about what they did to contribute to the company and the money in their pocket than it is for all the money to go into my pocket and then me gift it to them. Like, it's just, it's just more exciting. People are more, and I, I think we got a better outcome because of that, because people Mm -hmm. were vested in the success of the company. And so even when things got hard and even when people got whiny, they they had their sweat equity in, they had their cash in, they were vested in the success of the company. That doesn't mean companies where the CEO owns 95% can't be successful. I just think that for my leadership style and for my style, it was very helpful to have everybody feel like they had a part in it and and even though my equity percentage went down, 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 still there was a, a decent spread between the highest percentage person and and myself, right? And and that came up as things were as things were <laughs> unfolding. Yeah. And that was a small. And if it would have been huge, you know, I just I think it was I think it was more fun to build it together. And I agree, it took the risk out of it as well. But I also think it added a huge yeah, benefit. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. But for this for this company, I think the point though is that we felt like with a couple hundred thousand dollars that would be enough to go to market right right even though even though we raised well above that and i right. think we did that yeah. because the opportunity was there coming off of we thought it a couple well hundred accessible. thousand in
0: cash plus sweat equity so correct, we we're still going to do sweat equity yeah and that was still going to give some equity okay. away
2: right so, so i think um uh yeah it's um It's just so much of life comes down to personalities and stuff like that. So when you say, do you do friends and family? Do you fund it yourself? Let's just say you you have these three options. Fund yourself, friends and family, complete strangers. I think on funding it yourself and friends and family, we haven't talked about terms yet. Um, uh, But you basically dictate the terms on either one Mm -hmm. of those things because friends and family are investing in you and your idea, but mainly you. They're investing in you. Do they trust you? Do they think you can pull it off? And then, and then, do they think you have a good idea? And they certainly aren't worried about the fine print on whatever comes back when they write you write you the check. So you dictate the terms and all that stuff. And then, um, and then what what you get are people along for the ride and along for the journey, which is great. And then, and then, I agree. Certain investors. Um, yeah, just this is a nice person to have investing in our company because they're going to care about they're going to take an interest and in then maybe they can do something, you know, adjacent to it that that helps it be successful. So for you of those three options, it sounds like you no know, friends and family is and you have a big definition of friends. You have a lot of friends and stuff like that. And this builds friendships. Um, friends and family is essential and fundamental to my enjoyment of what I'm doing. I don't. I don't want to do this alone in a vacuum, even if I can, and I don't want to do this with a third part, a faceless, nameless third party or consortia that I don't care about. I want to do this with my friends and family, and that's my preferred route. Is that what I'm so, kind of hearing? And that he, just makes it more fun. That's just going right. to make doing this company thing more fun. For me. Yeah, but, yeah, for but, you.
0: But I would say probably the majority of people would say, no, I don't want my friends and family to risk their there's money, I'd rather risk. use a third party. Yeah, I think the majority would say that. The majority would say yeah. I'd rather do it myself and fund yeah. it myself and have all the upside, or I'd rather rather have a completely um, outside third party. But when I talk to people, most often they don't want to use friends and family because they don't want the stress of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I can understand that because there is huge stress in it. There's, yep. there's huge stress and you tell everybody, you may lose your money and you try to only, um, send the request out to people who you feel like, you know, can take on that risk. Uh, but, but it's, but it's still scary. I mean, I would have been, yeah, it would have been terrible to lose everybody's money. I wouldn't, it would be yeah,
1: sickening. <laughs> yeah. One of the things you yeah. were mentioning that kind of alluded that made me think of this is, is why you know, what are you thinking about when you invest in a company? And I'm a firm believer and I don't know where I got this from, but kind of betting the jockey rather than the horse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you're right though, friends and family are definitely looking at it from who's involved. And I'm just willing to back this person that I care about and love. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think when you step outside of that a little bit and get into some of the institutional stuff or from the no name the kind of no, no face kind of entity or whatever, I think that's similar. I, I think agree. they want to bet the, the bet the jockey. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. They don't oh, care I about doubt. the idea because, you know they have these huge, um, you know, kind of budgets and stuff. And you know, even thinking about when Bain invested in Defi, I mean, that mm-hmm. was we were a blip on the radar of the fund that they have. So I mean, you know, they're it's a numbers game for them to some degree. So, but I think they want to look at yeah, you know, the players the team, involved, right. right? Less less the product. I mean, sure, sort of the product and the market and industry that you know they're trying to kind of fill their portfolio portfolio with is critical, but yeah, I think if it had been somebody else and not you, I, I don't think they would have invested in Defy. Oh yeah, I totally, totally agree. So.
0: But yeah, no, I think it's important. I think it's important to believe in, in the, in the person running it. And I think even as I, again, I've been chatting with people who've contacted me from LinkedIn and so forth. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see the, the wide variety of people starting businesses that are calling me. So sometimes it's a, product person that is passionate starting a company sometimes it's a tech person who mm-hmm. has no product no sales no anything else experience and they just want to build the, the product right sometimes it's a salesperson so it's interesting to see and I wonder there's got to be stats out there on what companies are most successful like with with if a salesperson's running it or a mm-hmm. product person's running it
1: um I would my intuition would be that it would be a sales heavy person think? absolutely because that's the I mean that's Sales cures all problems. And <laughs> I, I would have thought product. No.
0: Well, I well, guess I mean, Goog- I'm sure Google we could Google, tell it, us. yeah. But <laughs> I, I would
1: I would bet that it's some it's sales oriented. Um, yeah. B- because again, I think sales cures all problems. So you could have a bad but, quote unquote bad product or a but, kind of in progress product or or whatever. The technology could be stale to some degree, but if you have somebody who can sell what you do have, yeah. like that's a valuable skill. That's
0: a, we should add that as a completely different podcast topic because yeah different personalities and different types of people also drive the organization differently which can cause chaos just
1: do a poll to the people that you know that also started businesses and see if you just think through like what what personalities were there what skill sets did they possess as the operators of the company i
0: meet more tech and product people that want to start them because they see a business need and they feel like they have the skills and they're able to do them yeah But that may be surface level. Like
1: when when it comes to the actual tactics, that's what I would want to know is, are they really more kind of true operators who know how to go out and grind it out?
0: Right. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to look it up. But back to raising capital. Um, So yeah, so terms and, and we'll have, we'll try to get Kevin on as a guest to talk through all the different ways and terms and so forth. But I still think even with friends and family that, um, again, I was talking to somebody the other day who they documented nothing as they started the company, still critical to make sure everything is clear and documented and laid out. And
2: um, what are you trying to Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no, sorry. So, um, yeah, so I was thinking, so for you as a founder, just advice to other founders, I I think my perspective was every unit percentage point of equity, you, you give up, is a precious, precious thing. Those percentage points don't come back. And if they do, they come back in a really expensive way. Um, You may need them down the road. Just what you give up at formation, you're not gonna get back and you're gonna need to give up more as you go along. Um, So I would say those things are precious. and, um, uh, And then, but you've gotta think about debt. In a risky way, right? In in that you got to think about your own your own money and that, but, but it um, really comes down the to the personality. I think, and then regardless of personality, I think, um, the thing that I've seen you watch is majority, and what, um, your personality is to not be in a minority position, right? And and I think most founders would be that way. So I think putting words in your mouth. The way you may set it would be to um, make sure that obviously, you know, you retain critical mass of ownership and create enough headroom for yourself that you would not be in a minority position because you needed to raise, do subsequent rounds that puts you on the other side of that line. You yeah, probably it, want enough headroom to not get there.
0: Unless because. you're making a conscious a conscious yeah. decision to be okay with minority, which I did at some point. So yes, yeah, I think right. for me, um, having control is the most important thing because I think it's hard to run a company and make decisions because people yeah. are just gonna disagree. Yeah. And that's why they say 50-50 partnerships don't work well, mm-hmm. uh, because people are just gonna disagree. And you can get into it thinking that you get along beautifully and everything is fine, but business is hard and there's hard decisions to make. And typically styles are different between two people and it doesn't make one of them right or wrong at all, but somebody has to make the decision. And so if you're, if you're constantly fighting or, you know, jockeying for something that doesn't work, if you have a clear leader who has control and that's what you're following, I think it just makes it easier even if the leader is suboptimal, you know, or whatever. So I think control was definitely important. And then I think that when you're going for outside money, there are so many different terms that they're going to require even in a minority position. To me, it felt like you're giving up control anyhow because there are so many things like you can't raise money. You can't raise money without them agreeing. You can't mm-hmm. sell without sell them agreeing. Without. You can't do this. So even if you were to raise 20%, 30%, 40%, all the other things in the documents uh, really take control out of your hands. And so I made a conscious effort, a conscious decision when I keep saying effort, a conscious uh, decision to go oh. ahead and sell 60% and just say, look, I, I was giving away my control, whether it's at 40% or 60%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that just, that has to be a decision. So I think you should just go into it with eyes wide open, just like marriage or anything else, go into it with eyes wide open. That if you're letting other people invest and there are terms in there that handcuff you they will come up at some point Mm -hmm.
2: yeah Yeah. and the truth it's it's funny because um yeah that moment that you go from from having control owning the board controlling the board to not that this transition state of of kind of crossing that line and the investor that takes you across that line Now, now if you're desperate that's one thing um but if you're not desperate uh, and the investor really wants a piece of the action and, and needs to do that. Then it's, um, yeah, you won't technically have control, but this company is still nothing without you. And you're still running the company. You still basically have control of the company. And there's, there's this kind of picture and, um, uh, that you still kind of have control except you don't. And then, um, and then over time, I think you realize maybe how little, little control you have right?
0: Yeah. One thing I want to cover before we close out or anything is, is the downside of not having a ton of cash. So yeah, I, I loved, um, being tightly in control of cash. I've never had a problem budgeting. I've never had a problem being tight and being careful and being creative in ways to spend. That's, that's where I feel comfortable. However, it does cause pressure on the organization and Mm -hmm. i had many times people come in to my cube come into my (laughs) desk and ask me why 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 like we used a product called looker why aren't we raising 40 million dollars like looker why don't we have this kind of cash to really go and crush the market and there's no set answer for it there there it could have been a good thing i don't know Um, i i tend to think the more money people have the more wasteful they are with it but but we had a you know we had a lot of pressure and we probably will at this company as well when for instance you well, we need you need to build a sales team and you have to to do that you have to have 6 months of spending without necessarily seeing any results from it well when you're so tight on cash you can't do that and that could impede your growth mm-hmm. or we really needed to hire ahead for sales but when you don't have the cash to hire ahead for sales you're hiring as the sales come in then people can't get trained so i yep. constantly would hear oh so it takes 3 to 6 months to train somebody and you're hiring them like and expecting them to get going in 2 weeks yeah. and i would be like yeah because that that's what we have and so mm-hmm. so it the good thing was it forced creativity it forced us to figure out ways to train people faster or to throw them into the fire faster, you mm-hmm. know? And, and it was good for certain personality types, but it wasn't good for other personality types. It is very difficult for scaling. When we got to the part where we had to scale the business, it became very difficult. So I think there's some kind of balance between being so strapped for cash that you can't hire until, and having so much cash that you hire too far ahead. Yeah, yeah. And there's some type of balance, balance. there. Yeah. And And I really tried to keep that balance. I really thought I could. And I really tried to keep that balance. But you have other forces at play when you bring in additional capital if you don't have control. So you have other opinions on things. And I think that if as a I would tell anybody going from kind of a bootstrapped very tight for cash um, environment to actually having cash on the balance sheet, that You think you're going to be super careful, but it's almost like you're so exhausted from being poor that uh, that you let your guard down a little bit. And so I think I I was as close to trying to not let my guard down as possible, but I was still exhausted. Like I was exhausted balancing the budget all the time and trying to make sure everything worked and just having a little bit of relief is like, you know, Going paycheck to paycheck at home and then getting a raise and then realizing that eh, we're going out to eat a little too much. We probably shouldn't right. be doing this.
1: Yeah, we were talking about the other day, like, you know, this is good insight, but not everybody in, a, in an organization has is privy to a lot of the the details, I guess, and in, in some of the decisions and they only see the result. So. I think it's a valuable skill to be able to sell ahead of delivery to some degree, but that puts a lot of pressure on delivery. Like you said, so right. if, if you've signed up these clients and now they're here and now you have to staff up to actually deliver, then you're in a position where these these people are trying to onboard really quickly, and it just puts a lot of pressure on that side of the business. But mm-hmm. I think that happens a lot. I mean, right. it happens a lot. And I think that's a. I think if you looked yeah. at the growth curves or of any kind of company that's kind of in that growth mode, you'd probably sim- see similar, yeah, a, a similar thing across all all companies
0: yeah. well that's why it's why i tell all the time to everybody i love that book scaling up because yeah. it talks about the things that you're going to experience yep. at all these different stages yep. and um and it's it's funny as you're scaling and growing whether you have a lot of money or a little money the things that you experience and see are are pretty similar yeah, yeah maybe
1: the maybe the maybe knowing that now having gone through it a couple of times like awareness or communication with your team especially the early early adopters of it or kind of the early team of knowing that these stages of growth or whatever that they can anticipate it that might help you know kind of digest it a little bit or create sort of this culture to know that hey this is something that we're that, that you can anticipate happening right we're going to hit a situation where we're going to sell something and we can't necessarily we're not necessarily ready to deliver it right but we have to figure that out right those types of things so
0: yeah. and then like i said it can breed creativity so it's correct a, it's a positive thing but
1: it's a stressful thing as well so c- constraints do create c- creativity right i mean
0: and I yeah I want to, sure. I want to have a whole session on creativity because I do think that that's true. But I would also love to have somebody in here from a company who raised huge amounts of money and didn't sure. have that constraint uh, and see how they but your vape felt friends. Like
1: was, do they raise a lot of money? No. No? Okay. Let's we'll think of some people.
0: we have to find, find somebody who was with a company when they raised huge amounts of money or just like when we saw Uber and they were a customer. Maybe Jason would fast.
1: come on. That he's going through it right now. Oh, he is? Yeah. Maybe because he's there, can't talk about it.
0: Right. Um, I assume it's good. public. We can find out. They're raising what, a lot of things. What else do we want to cover? Yeah. Okay, we have a special question guest. from the floor. We have a special <laughs> <question> <laughs> guest. from the floor. We have a, <laughs> we have a special Basically. guest here from yeah. TCU listening, and so he doesn't have yeah. a mic, but he's going to ask a question, it's and then I'll jump audience. in. Our studio audience.
1: <laughs> you yeah. can repeat the question. I will. Just so we have the... Okay. Okay
0: okay so the question was around crowdfunding and uh, kind of pros and cons of it and if it's a good good option for early on and so when so we might call different things crowdfunding so when you were saying when you're asking about crowdfunding are you really talking about um well are you talking about more like we're doing with kickstarter on games or more like that type of crowdfunding yeah so yeah i think i think yeah crowdfunding is a completely different than family and friends different than going to an institution it's obviously picking up like crazy on kickstarter as we're seeing you know all kinds of different products raise millions of dollars to get their products or their companies up and going so it's huge and
1: there's a Uh, there's a huge advantage to it as well because again this goes back to the whether you need money or not like there's a lot of um campaigns. Now we can argue whether they end up being successful or not, but they'll create campaigns, let's say on Kickstarter, Indiegogo or something where they haven't necessarily figured out manufacturing yet. Um, but they have this really cool campaign where it looks like they've got this really awesome product that they're going to be able to deliver. And I think it gives them an opportunity to validate it with the market or the end consumer that they might, you know, kind of be after and it allows them to tweak that based on feedback that they get. Right. Um, the good campaigns typically have all the manufacturing and stuff figured out, Um, and then they communicate really well with the, with the customers and then they actually deliver on, on the products. I think I've done several Kickstarters myself and I think I've only, only one hasn't delivered. They still haven't delivered their product. Um, but yeah, most of the time it seems like the good ones are, are successful, but it's a, it's a very valuable process, I think. And, And like we've done it with the game, it's been really good. Now for us, we, we had the cards, the card game that we did, we had the, we had them We worked with the manufacturing company, we had test decks printed, the boxes kind of printed off and we've got to kind of play around with them, which is good. Um, so I think we feel pretty confident about what we're going to deliver when the campaign ends. Um,
0: but the, the, it did make us realize some things as we were because we were playing the game before we put it on Kickstarter. Once we put it on Kickstarter and we had to create a video then we realized, oh my gosh, we spelled a word wrong on (laughs) the card (laughs) and we have one that's not very clear. Which, you know, our the sorry game we have is, you know, a well-made game and it has unclear instructions or whatever. Yeah. But, so we learned a lot from from that and having to put the video on and having to ask questions and so forth. Um, and I think that the, the crowdfunding is interesting. We actually did crowdfunding at Defy in a completely different way. It wasn't to raise cash capital, but it did raise revenue for our company to be able to keep going. Mm-hmm. We'll, we won't cover that, but um, but yeah, the Kickstarter is interesting because... I think John and I at our age would have just, it just wasn't a thing that we ever look at or pay attention to. Justin was very into it. Mm-hmm. And so, because people younger than me were into it, you know, I went and got John a present on there one time that was cool. And and so the then backpack. we put the game in the backpack yes. and put the game on there. So, I'd be interested to see demographics on who is going in, well, and using it.
2: I do think, and, and we need to come back to this because. We talked about friends and family, and um, uh, we didn't talk about well, how does that work? Is there like this presumption that every twenty-one-year-old kid or twenty-five-year-old who wants to start a business can raise a million dollars in a week just mm-hmm. by sending an email? Right. Stephanie can do that, and um, so so friends and family was easy for her. Email goes out. It was
0: not easy the first time. It was only no, easy this time. Easy the first
2: time. So so once you've got. Bread and people are playing with a little bit of house money uh friends and family became pretty pretty easy way um not easy but she did all the work it was easy for us because she did all the work um and, and <laughs> did a great job with it and stuff but when you have believers in that stuff so so how you get people to yeah. to give you money is a whole a whole different thing and once they trust you believe in you um see that way i think it, it gets
1: A lot easier. You Um, always called yourself the chief beggar.
0: Chief beggar. That was my job. (laughs) But when you said that, it made me also think I've seen a lot of people who try raising friends and family money and put such a high minimum on it that most friends and family can't Can't do anything. We always had a pretty low minimum.
2: Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And then the the crowdfunding thing is really interesting because um, for a lot of reasons, um, I'm talking about the game, but you guys did the game on Kickstarter. Ancient crowdfunding, because I think I think the way that the young entrepreneur would think about crowdfunding is no, I actually need this money to produce the thing that I want to produce and to put this thing out in the market. If I don't get this money, this thing will not exist. Mm -hmm. That it's a simple kind of exchange that way. Their experience with it, at least on this one was more of a market. No, we've got the money. We can write the check. We just want to, um, see who's interested. And this seems like a good vehicle to see who's interested. And, um, and then of your sales, I'm curious, what percentage of sales came through the crowdfunding platform and what percentage of your sales came through um, what you guys would have achieved on Facebook or your own social media or your own distribution Just- and stuff like that? How does this break down? Justin's uh, got well the number. I have
1: the actual numbers. Oh, wow. um, so most, most of the people that, that subscribed or signed up for the game came Either through a like a, a direct referral, uh, or the Facebook or LinkedIn. So I think it just came from us pushing stuff out there. Likely that group of people are people that we know. Yep. yep and then yep. I'd say the other, I don't know, twenty percent is probably thirty percent is probably just r- organic. Like, okay. not that we didn't spend money. We did some advertising and stuff like that. Very minimal. Like, yeah. like maybe ten bucks or something. Like, yeah. Low. There's
2: like, so, so I guess the idea would be that there's. um, there's some set of Kickstarter groupies out there who like to take flyers on things. They do. That's me. Um, yep. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. That's Justin. And then, um, and then so, but for this game, I guess that crowdfunding wasn't a viable way to get this game off off the ground. There weren't enough of those people, you know, to throw money at the the game. Um, so it's, I wonder how you like, um, how you truly like ignite
1: crowdfunding and I think you have to have a story and I think that's really those meaningful. Are the, the ones that end up being know, the most successful it. in my mind is they've established uh-huh. this kind of credibility through a story or a brand or something. So they've had movies be, uh, funded through Kickstarter successfully. I think like Veronica Mars or one of the reboots that they did was all funded through crowdsourcing. And so there was just like this compelling narrative or story around whatever the campaign may be. And it rallies people around it. I think you can't just, I don't think you could just create a Kickstarter project and then have it be successful. You have to do the legwork right. around it to draw people to it somehow. Yeah. Organically, yeah. people will find it because if, you know, you could, by luck of, by by luck, you may end up on the suggested page or something like that. But yeah. I think the most success, successful ones end up, they have to do the work sort of around it to rally people around that topic. Right. Yeah.
0: We talked about that in one of the podcasts that now marketing is so accessible to everybody and it's so inexpensive, but it's so much work. So it used to be before you had to hire a firm for anything, for any product, for anything that you wanted to do, you would hire a firm, you'd pay a bunch of money and, you know, get TV ads, you know, or radio ads or, you know, SEO, whatever it is. And now there's so much you can do on your own, but it's effort. I mean, even the podcasts are effort, right? That that Justin's working on and and creating and so forth. So, but would, he, would you say that the little fund that you're invested in is kind of crowdfunding-ish? I mean, it's a fund, but it's all early startup money. Just- No, I
1: wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't call it crowd. I wouldn't? personally wouldn't call it crowdfunding. Not Isn't necessarily. Isn't it just anybody
0: and everybody can get in, but they just no, don't have well, No, I
1: mean, there's still minimums. It's not like- No, I thought it yeah, was like so low. No, no, no. Well, there's, like there's legal startup. reasons. Like there's, it, and yeah. to his other question that he asked about sort of the um kind of the angel network there's a company called like angelist um where you can subscribe to so like let's say I'm an investor and I create you know I want to create a, a, a my own fund or whatever so that anybody who wants to follow me on my angelist profile can see all my deal flow and they can participate in it and then I would take a carry off of whatever deal that that I s- decided to invest in but I think that only became accessible for most people based on I think it was a law that changed not too long ago maybe when Obama was president or something where it opened up the the net a little bit wider for kind of the, what the quote unquote accredited investor kind of means and allowing more people to be sort of crowdfunding or participating in those types of deals.
0: Yeah. Because it used to be, if you're not accredited investor and you didn't make the minimum, you couldn't do it.
1: Yeah. So, but this other, this other thing, it's, it's a fund. I mean, it's just, I'm an investor in a fund, and then I get to see all the deal flow that comes in there and then I get to participate in those rounds, if they have subsequent rounds or whatever. And there's a cap, I think, on what, um, the type of investment that they would put in, the type of company that they would put in. Um, but I'd, I guess I wouldn't call it crowdfunding. Maybe it is, maybe somebody else would disagree. I don't know. Okay. I don't, I don't think of that when I think of crowdfunding.
2: Right. Yeah, I guess it's, I'd be interested in um, uh, your your class, are. Um, member of our audience is from an entrepreneurial program at tcu but um because it's interesting there's like um i don't know with all these things yeah i wonder if it creates get generational here so (laughs) i feel like um uh kind of this post-millennial generation there may be this perception of um oh man there's this world people are just ready to just throw money at you for anything, right? Oh, there's crowdfunding. There's this, there's that, there's that. Have you heard of this site and that site? Oh, they're throwing money at everybody for for all these things. And, and I'm me and I've got an idea and the world's just gonna throw money at me. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and I wonder if it actually, cause there's so many ways to have money thrown at you. And then, but then I wonder if there's this, and that may happen to a point, but then I wonder if there's, um, if that's reality. Or, or if it's just kind of a, a story and I wonder if the reality still comes back to more traditional things, well, Stephanie, I'm 40. I've made these people millions. I ask them for money. They give me money and, and it's so just a more traditional thing or, or if that kind of, I don't know, I just love numbers and stats and the whole thing and just how this stuff this stuff plays in because I think I think truly getting a substantial amount of money and starting a business to me still seems still seems difficult
1: yeah it is Um, I think it's very hard
2: yeah Um, yeah
0: but but all the different options that are out there I think what it means is there's opportunity there's just there's there's ways and there's opportunity and people do it differently and probably 20 years ago there was only one way to raise money go PE go venture I mean and then 10 years later there's other ways to raise money and 10 years later so again, it's a combination of things that make it work, but just having various ways to make money, different ways to get started. There was no entrepreneurial class when we were in college. There was no teaching you how to pitch or, you know, letting you pitch at different places and get even some seed money. I know now it's cool. Right. Yeah. So I think it just opens up more and more areas. And
1: you said something that made me think, so, you you know, before you were talking about how valuable a share is and giving it away, you're kind of, you know, losing a part of your business every time you do that. Um, I think another, a, a bigger component or maybe it's, maybe it's equal or bigger, I don't know, but is reputation. Because if you, well, let's say you take a bunch of money and you squander it, you're not likely going to be able to raise any more money ever. Right. So I think, you know, I think being good stewards of the money is important. Actually being able to deliver and execute on what you're, you're communicating to people is is critical as well. Otherwise you won't be able to continue to raise raise money and I think maybe some people I don't know if that helps anybody but I don't some people probably don't think about that like oh I'm just gonna raise this one round and then we'll be good but if it fails right you know and it fails because of bad like you were bad steward of the money you're not likely going to be able to get more
0: well so I was going to say so people who start when we're talking about is it a product person a salesperson a tech person man if you're not good at money if you're not good at your own finances you just shouldn't be running right. a company. And no, and every place but that's okay. But right, but every place you talk to says, No, 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 if you just have a good CFO, you'll be fine. But <laughs> to me, if I'm running the company, the finances are the most critical thing. And I'm not saying you don't need a sure. good CFO, but you yourself have got to understand them and you've got yep. you've got to understand them really, really well because very easily easy to get paired with somebody who Seems like a good CFO, but is going to take advantage of the situation or not. And you just, you have, you, I mean, we know that I'm better at budgeting than like financial statements and everything, but you, you have to have a good handle on the money. And so I would say if somebody's thinking of starting a business and they're not good at their own finances, they shouldn't do it until they get their own stuff under control. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. Any, you have, we have any more questions from the audience before we, our talk? first audience, <laughs> our first audience. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> exciting. All right. You're forever going to be on our podcast history. Yeah. yeah.
1: Episode. What episode? I don't know what episode this is going to be, but it'll definitely, I'm telling you right now, the audio in this episode is going to be, it's going to give me the most peace in post-production editing. I can tell already it's going to be better.
0: Not less than six hours of editing.
1: I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I just want to put it out there with confidence that this is going to sound great.
0: All right. Excellent. All right. Then. That's a wrap.
1: That's All another wrap. Right. Ep- oh, you know what we guys need to stop doing is hitting the microphones on the tables. You guys are handsy when you talk. i not even touching it. You're not right now, but He's been it, noticing it. look, I'll go back when I edit this episode and I'll, I'll extract it and send it to you. Okay. You guys are very handsy. All right. <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> Until All next right. time. Goodbye. We, we, we got to figure out how yeah. to like close these out. It's uh, another episode of uh, The Journey. I we were just saying yeah. that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Okay.
0: All right. Bye. Bye.